Well, welcome again to Trinity Grace. We're so glad that you're here this morning, especially if you're a guest with us this morning. And as many of you will know, we're in the midst of a series looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to be in this series through the end of the summer. The Sermon on the Mount is a sermon that Jesus gave to his followers, and it can be found in the Gospel of Matthew in chapters 5, 6, and 7. And we began last week looking at chapter 6 of this sermon. And as we enter into chapter 6 of Matthew, Jesus has turned his attention to our spiritual life. He has turned his attention to focus on how we engage God and how we engage in the spiritual disciplines as his followers. He mentions things specifically like giving and fasting and prayer. In chapter 6, Jesus is focusing, in a sense, on our vertical relationship. He spent chapter 5 talking about how we relate with other people, our horizontal relationships, and now he's zoning in on how you and I relate with our Heavenly Father. I wonder how many of you this morning have ever tried to play golf. I love playing golf. I played golf in high school. I try to play as much golf as I can these days. But the thing with golf is that it's hard. Most anyone will tell you that it can be unbelievably frustrating. In fact, some people call the game of golf a good walk spoiled. You want a spoiled walk, you just go try and play golf. For those of you who've played sports in this room, you know what I'm talking about. You know how difficult it can be learning a new sport. Hitting a golf ball, throwing a curveball, mastering a free throw, honing hand-eye coordination in the batter's box. These things take lots of practice. You've got to learn skills. They're not easy at first. In fact, these things can be really frustrating, almost making you want to give up. And it's not just sports. Those of you who play music know what I'm talking about too. Before you can sit down in front of a piano or pick up a guitar or hold a violin and play it, you've got to learn. My kids right now are learning this as they take piano lessons once a week. And I'll tell you, it's not always easy. And they've got to practice at home every day to keep up. And they don't always like it at the time. But our hope as parents is that this practice is one day going to give them the freedom to really enjoy music. It doesn't come naturally to them. They've got to learn to play. And we stick at these activities because we know that they'll pay off in the end. We know they'll bring great enjoyment to our lives. We stick with these things that don't come naturally in hopes that one day they might become second nature. We don't even think about them anymore. We keep going. We keep practicing even when we're uncomfortable or frustrated or angry because we know the joy that comes after we've learned a new skill. And this morning we're talking about prayer. It's probably obvious leading up to the sermon Our focus this morning has been on prayer. And we've got to approach it with the same attitude. If we're honest, everyone in this room this morning would admit that prayer does not come naturally. Many would admit that we're often uncomfortable, even frustrated, when we engage or think about prayer. Jesus knows this about us. And in our passage this morning, Jesus teaches his followers about prayer. In a sense, he's telling us that prayer isn't natural. It's got to be learned. And this is really good news for you and me because it gives us the freedom to be learners. We're on a journey in the Christian life, always learning, always growing, never having arrived at the destination. We don't have to have it all together when it comes to prayer. 
It's okay to be frustrated sometimes with prayer. We're all beginners in a sense, but it's worth the effort. It's worth the practice. And learning from Jesus is a really good place to start when it comes to prayer. So let's learn from him by looking at Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 7. You can follow along as I read. It's printed for you in your bulletin. Jesus says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, this is God's word and he gives it to us because he loves us and he wants us to know him. Let me pray for us before we look at it together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it shapes and forms who we are. Lord Jesus, we are specifically thankful this morning that you are patient with us, that you want to lead us and teach us into how to pray. And we pray that as we listen to you this morning, that you would open our hearts and our eyes to receive what you would have to say, that we would be encouraged by your grace and your love. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, if I wanted to make you nervous this morning, if I wanted to provoke deep anxiety in your heart, I'd ask you to stand up and pray for the group. And to prove my point, I'm going to ask one of you to stand up right now and pray. I'm kidding. I would not do that to you, okay? But why is it that prayer can have such an anxiety-producing effect on us? Why is it that prayer can be such a nerve-wracking experience? Well, I would say that it's this way because we're not quite sure what we're doing. We're not quite sure what we're doing when it comes to prayer. Who are we talking to? What are we supposed to say? How long are we supposed to pray for? Why should we pray anyway? And if you think about it, a lack of security, a lack of knowing what you're doing always breeds a sense of anxiety in our hearts and in our lives. And this is where you and I are a lot of times when it comes to prayer. We don't really know what we're doing. Whether you've never prayed in your life or maybe you've been a praying person for years, we all have the same questions and frustrations a lot of times when we think about prayer. Is anyone listening? Can God really do anything? Am I doing this right? How long should I spend in prayer? What should I ask for? Am I allowed to focus on myself? These are good questions. And in our passage this morning, Jesus is giving his followers a model for prayer. It's a passage that many of you have probably heard before, often called the Lord's Prayer. And it's a practical pattern for our prayers. It's a skeleton, so to speak, of how you and I are meant to pray. John Calvin, as he studied this prayer, he said, this prayer helps us when our ideas run out. When you don't know what to pray for, you can go to this prayer and use it in order to to pray to the Lord. And my hope is that this morning, this prayer will give us some categories Look, we're going to be taking a 30,000-foot view this morning. In reality, we could do an entire series, weeks and weeks, on the Lord's Prayer. But this morning, since we're in a passage or a series on the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to skim this passage in a sense. Today, our hope is simply to get some general categories in place by looking at the who, the what, and the why of prayer. 
the who, the what, and the why. And hopefully by the end of our time, we'll end some of the anxiety we feel as we get a little more familiar with what prayer is. So let's look at the who of prayer, the what of prayer, and the why of prayer. First, let's spend a few minutes on the who of prayer. I wonder if you noticed the organization in this prayer that Jesus gives. It begins by focusing on God and his work. After that, it turns to focus on our individual needs and our individual desires. In other words, it begins with adoration and it leads into our petitions. It begins with God and then it comes down to us. And the order is important because it gives us a clue as to how to pattern our prayers. We're always to begin with God and who he is and his work in this world and in our lives. God's glory is always first and foremost when it comes to our prayers. And secondarily, yet still important, are our needs and our desires. In other words, prayer is always meant to start from the top down. It's meant to be theocentric and then come down to the anthropocentric level in a sense. The first part of this prayer clues us into who we're talking to when we pray to the God of the Bible. And I want you to see two aspects of who God is from these first few lines of this prayer. We see that God is both transcendent and that he's imminent. He's transcendent and he's imminent. In other words, we see that God is transcendent. He's other. He is completely different from us. He is beyond us. He is all-powerful all-knowing. He is everywhere present, and you and I are not. He's transcendent. But we also see that he is imminent. He is intimate with us. He is involved in the details of our lives. God is very close to you and I. First, let's look at God's transcendence. We see Jesus highlight God's transcendence when he addresses him as one who is in the heavens, one who is in heaven. And the phrase isn't so much talking about where God resides as it is talking about that he's in control of the heavens. He's in control of all things. The Christian God is one who is above and beyond us. He's all powerful. Jesus is pointing out that we pray to a God who has the power to act on our behalf. He's completely sovereign. He's able to do whatever he pleases. We approach a God who can answer our prayers. That's the bottom line. Powerful to do it. He's transcendent. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't really have a problem believing that God is all powerful. That's a given. You don't struggle with thinking of a God who is in control and does what he pleases. Maybe you're here this morning and you struggle to believe that God cares. You know he's powerful, but maybe you struggle to believe that he's intimately involved in this world and in our life. You would agree that God's transcendent, but you'd question whether he's near. And Jesus addresses that struggle by highlighting God's imminence. We see Jesus teach that God is not only transcendent, but also intimately involved with his creation. When he encourages us as as followers of him to address God as Father. Father. Now, this may not seem like a big deal to us, but it would have been controversial to first century hearers of Jesus because no one addressed God as Father. Remember last week I mentioned that there isn't one instant in all of, instance in all of the Old Testament and in all of extra-biblical Jewish literature up to the 10th century uh, of a Jewish person addressing God directly as Father in the first person. It did not happen. 
This was a new teaching. Jesus is coming and encouraging his followers to use a term of intimacy with God, a term of personal relationship. The word Jesus likely uses here when speaking is the Aramaic word Abba. Jesus spoke the language Aramaic, and it's an intimate term for fathers used by their children, something like what it sounds like Papa or Dada, Abba. The God we pray to is one who is as intimate with us as a father is with his children. He is compassionate and empathetic towards us. He knows what we need. We pray to a God who understands us, one who wants good for us, one who is close to us. Look, five years ago, you might remember this, but the Catholic Church elected a new pope. And it was interesting. I find the process of their election fascinating. Uh, 115 cardinals from around the world, they gather in Rome in the Sistine Chapel, and they use this chapel to cast their handwritten votes one by one. And in order for a person to be elected, the leader of the Catholic Church, there's got to be 77 of the cardinals in agreement. They all have to vote for the same man. And this time, five years ago, they elected the first pope from South America. They selected an Argentinian bishop who took the name Pope Francis upon his selection. And when installed as the new pope, he was immediately elevated to a transcendent status in the Catholic Church. He was other. He he was something different than what other people were in the view of the Catholic Church. And when this man was first elected, you might remember, people were writing and talking a lot about this new leader of the Catholic Church. The thing that people seemed most excited about was that he was down to earth. He was down to earth. I mean, he refused in Argentina the bishop's palace. He lived in an apartment. He rode the bus to work every day in Argentina. He prepared his own meals in his own modest apartment there in that country. And people were going crazy five years ago, and in many ways still are, because Pope Francis, even though he is other, he's transcendent in their view, in a sense. They truly believe that he knows what they're experiencing. He knows their struggles. He's in touch with what's going on in people's lives. And in many ways, that's a pretty good picture of the God that Christians pray to. He is all powerful and completely other on one hand, but he's down to earth on the other. He knows your struggles. He's in touch with what we experience, the joy and the sorrow, and he invites us to call him Father. So why is this so important for us to understand this morning? Who we pray to? Well, most of us have been told all our lives that we're the achievers. You and I are the ones who make it happen. We're the transcendent ones, in a sense. But what happens in life when you come across something that you just can't make happen? That you just can't control? What happens when you're diagnosed with cancer and all of a sudden life feels very fragile? Or what happens when the economy takes a turn down and you lose all the security that you've built up? Or what happens when your kid grows up and begins making decisions that you know are going to lead to failure and hurt them in the long run? When life gets tough and we've got nowhere else to turn, as Christians, we can remind ourselves that we are not transcendent. We are not in heaven. There's only one who is, and it's the God we pray to. 
We pray to a truly transcendent one, the one who is in complete control. Look, some of you in the room this morning truly to desire to experience and to know God's transcendence in your life. And you wonder why is it that knowing of God's control is so difficult for many of us, so difficult for you. Well, if you're anything like me, it's difficult because you rarely put yourself in a position where you actually have to experience God coming through for you. Our prayers aren't big enough. They're not grand enough. We're not praying things that require God's action in our lives. I never take risks. Never do anything that's bigger than myself, in a sense. And as a result, we don't even give God the chance to come through for us. To show His transcendence in our life. But others in the room, they want to feel God's imminence. That someone knows you and cares for you. And that desire has driven lots of us to search for that closeness, that imminence, in a number of different places to find it. We want to feel close. We want to feel connected to God. And instead of connecting to Him, we connect to money or to beauty or to alcohol or to pornography. I mean, I wonder if you've ever stopped to think that much of our dysfunction and sin in this world is a good desire for God's closeness gone wrong. A desire for his imminence turned in on itself. Look, according to Jesus, God is both transcendent and he's imminent. This is the God that you and I pray to, the one that we have a relationship with. And knowing who we're praying to should give us confidence to approach him with our requests. He's powerful to answer and he cares to listen and he cares to be involved in our lives. That's, who, that's the who of prayer. But what are we supposed to pray for? Well, Jesus gives us a model for our requests in verses 10 through 13 of this passage. Jesus wants our words to be thoughtful and sincere when we speak to God. And this is in contrast to the hypocrites that Jesus just denounced. We look at them last week. They were not sincere. They were making a show of their prayers. They wanted to be seen by other people. And it's also in contrast to the Gentiles that Jesus speaks of in verse 7. They're not thoughtful. These Gentiles were using formulas or incantations in their prayers, hoping that God would hear them because they said the right words or because they said many words. But Jesus comes and he reminds us that God wants us to talk to him as ourselves, being who we are when we come to him. And this passage teaches us to focus our prayers in two primary ways. We're called to focus our prayers on the world and on ourselves. Okay, Jesus is giving us a model of prayer that pleads for the restoration of this world and for our own personal needs. First, we see Jesus encourage us to pray for the world. In prayer, we are called to give God's concerns priority. And this is what we see Jesus doing in this passage. The first three petitions of this prayer, the three of the six, are focused on God's work in this world. He spends time first praying for God's name to be honored or hallowed, for God's kingdom to come, and for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. To put it simply, Jesus wants us to pray for the restoration of the world, the renewal of all things. 
Look, many of us growing up were taught that one day after we die, we'll get to heaven and we'll be free from this world. And often when you heard this teaching, maybe in Sunday school or church, it comes along with a picture of us playing a harp while sitting on a cloud. You likely heard this. Maybe you have wings in that picture. And if we believe that we're one day going to escape from this world and that's going to be our destiny, then why would we even want to pray for the world at all? Look, the Bible gives us a completely different picture altogether of what's coming. It tells the story of God restoring this world, mending the brokenness that we experience in this world and in our lives. The Bible teaches in Revelation 21 and 22 that heaven will actually one day come down to earth, making all things new. You might even get a chance to pick where you want to live in the new heavens and the new earth. I'd like to live in Scotland and play lots of golf as I worship the Lord daily. But that's the picture more closely to what the Bible teaches than what we normally have in mind. And Jesus is calling for us to pray that that reality become more and more apparent even now. We want this world to mirror heaven more and more now. We want this world to be a place where God's name is known and treasured, a place ruled by God's standards of justice and love and peace and flourishing. Jesus calls us to pray for the world that God's name would carry weight and his standards would become our reality. And the question is, how would this change the focus of your prayers if you believe this? I think it would give us great hope and anticipation when it comes to praying if we really believed this. Knowing that our prayers can actually affect change in the world. That through our prayers, the world can be made right in significant ways. Jesus wants us to pray big prayers for the world. Prayers of God's will being accomplished. But we also see Jesus teach us in this passage to pray for ourselves. In prayer, it's not selfish to pray for our needs. In fact, God wants you to pray for your needs. God takes great pleasure in answering the prayers of his children. In this passage, we see three specific needs jump out in verses 11 through 13 as Jesus teaches us to pray for ourselves. We're called to pray for our daily bread. We're called to pray for forgiveness of debts. And we're called to pray for protection from evil. In other words, Jesus wants us to pray for our material needs, our spiritual needs, and our moral needs. He wants us to pray for our present, our past, and our future. When Jesus teaches us to pray for our daily bread, he's teaching us to pray for our material needs. In the culture of the Bible, bread was a daily need. People constantly went in search of it. They weren't sure if they were going to find it, so they prayed. And today, we don't really struggle with finding bread to eat, thankfully. But Jesus is calling us to continue to ask God to provide for our daily needs. For you and me to request Uh, For for you and me, this request re-centers us back on the source uh, of all that we have. God is our provider. Do you have clothes to wear? Do you have food to eat? Do you have a house to live in? I mean, it sounds trite, but those are gifts that come from God. What do you need? We're called to pray for those things. And when Jesus teaches us to pray that our debts be forgiven, he's addressing our spiritual needs. The Bible tells us that we're all in God's debt. We've all made a mess of our lives and have done things that have displeased him as our creator. 
we, we all, in a, in a sense, are in constant need of God's grace and forgiveness in our lives. So as we pray, Jesus teaches us to pray for forgiveness, to pray for God's grace, his renewal in our hearts and our lives. And this is not a one-time event. I was saved in seventh grade. But the process of repentance and confession and renewal is a daily experience. The Christian life is one of continual renewal. Jesus is teaching us to pray in this way. As we experience God's forgiveness too, it turns us into those who move out and forgive others. We become forgiving people to the degree that we've experienced God's forgiveness towards us. Not only do we need forgiveness and cleansing for our failure and messed up lives, we also need to be protected to be protected from falling back into those same struggles that we fall into over and over. So Jesus asks us to pray for protection from temptation. To do this, we've got to realize that we're prone to slip back into those old patterns that we hate. We're prone to slip back into darkness, back into shame. And Jesus teaches us to pray for protection. Look, Jesus teaches us to pray for the world and to pray for ourselves. That's the what of prayer. And you can make it more specific in your own life. But generally speaking, that's the skeleton that Jesus gives us. It's the content of our prayers. And maybe at this point, you've begun to ask the question, why do we even need to pray? I mean, after all, verse 8 says that God already knows what we need before we ask him. So why pray? Look, prayer is not letting God in on things that he doesn't already know. Prayer is conversation with God. We can pour out our hearts to a God who already knows us. And you know how this works in your personal relationships. Somebody that knows you well is somebody that you're prone to talk to the most. Somebody that you want to share your life with. And as we converse with God about this world and our needs, we come to realize that we're the ones who are weak and dependent. That's why we pray. It's the presupposition that you and I bring to the table. We are dependent. We are needy. And if you're anything like me, you hate asking for help. Uh, A while ago, I had to call a friend who owns a truck to ask him if I could borrow his truck in order to haul some dirt uh, for our new garden. And you would have thought that I was calling him to ask him to marry me. I was so nervous. I mean, I hated making that phone call to borrow his truck. I hated to ask. I hated the fact that I was dependent, that I was the needy one. Such a simple little thing in life. But in much the same way, prayer feels a lot like neediness. And you and I are needy, dependent people. We are weak people who continually fall into the same struggles. We've got things done to us that aren't right. We do things to others that aren't right. The world that we live in is not the way it should be. We've got many needs to bring to God. We are weak and dependent. The ones placed in the position of asking. But the good news is that Jesus is one who knows our weakness. He came for weak people. He knows you can't do life on your own. Jesus came for us and he makes prayer for us to God possible. Because of Jesus, we can bring our needs and our requests to God and know that he listens. Because of Jesus, we don't have to hide when we approach God. We can be ourselves pouring out our hearts to a God who hears us. A few years back, Duke University, they started a website where students could go online and vent anonymously. And this was a place where students could safely bring their concerns and anxieties and just let them out. 
And it's interesting to step back and think about this concept for a minute, to think about one of our most elite institutions in America has an inclination that people fundamentally need to communicate their neediness. A place that highlights competence to such a degree that you can't get in there without a 4.0 turns around and says you are weak and needy and we're going to provide an opportunity for you to demonstrate that. This website is an illustration that people are haunted by God. They're haunted by the transcendent. Even though they don't want anything to do with him, there's still something inside of them that desires him to listen to them. And if you got on the site, you'd read some pretty transparent and truthful stuff. Here are a few examples. One student said, I can't handle this anymore. This has been the most difficult, stressful semester, and tonight everything fell through everything. I'm so overwhelmed with life. I know I'm not the only one, but I just needed a place to vent. Another student said, I feel like I'm drowning from the inside out. Another said, I would really, really love to not be depressed or anxious anymore. I know things will get better someday, but I'm tired of waiting. And another student said, I feel like I can say things here without people judging me. Look, the students are using this website to pray in a sense. They're laying down their concerns, their requests, and their needs on a web page for all to see. And there's something inside these students that gravitates to this idea of prayer, is what we'd call it. They wouldn't call it that. Even if their aim and practice is misguided, they desire this in their life. They're recognizing their neediness and their dependence. They're implicitly saying, I'm not competent, I'm not strong, and that's exactly what you and I need as well if we're going to have a vibrant prayer life. In a world that values competence, there's one thing you're not allowed to say, and it's, I can't do it. You're not allowed to say that in our culture. But Jesus comes and says, that's exactly what you have to say before you can come to me and experience this life-giving prayer that I want you to have. Look, there is something inside of us uh, that is attracted to this type of honest prayer, to unloading, to living openly before someone who cares for us, one who is powerful yet intimate. And that's what prayer is. We get a chance to come before God with requests for this world in our lives, bringing the good, the bad, and the ugly. We can be dependent and needy, knowing that God is powerful and that he cares for us. Look, if it matters to you this morning, it matters to God. No matter how awful your situation, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've experienced, no matter what you think, you can bring your life before God. I had a seminary professor who said some things in life you can only tell God because he's the only one who can bear that much reality. Are you able to be dependent and needy with God? Are you living openly before him? He cares for us and he wants us to bring our anxieties to him. We are weak, but we pray to one who's strong and he answers because he loves us. As a father dearly loves his children. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord God, we are thankful for the way that you invite us to bring our requests before you. We are thankful for the way that you tenderly deal with us as a father deals with his children. And we pray this morning as we think about our world, as we think about our lives, that you would continually remind us that you invite us into your presence to bring ourselves before you so that we might experience your presence in our lives, so that we might experience your renewal and your grace. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.